So just a, a quick recap from last week's message. Um, last week I shared about the difference between mature freedom and immature freedom. And I, I talked about how uh, many times we can misinterpret freedom as being all about me, you know. And we sang about it, break the chains, break the bond, you know, God's always showing up to help me. And it's true. He is. But if we stop right there, it's about me, for me. And that's about it. And that's all that matters. And if it doesn't help me, then I stop. I quit, maybe. Um, then we're in immaturity. And so if we're just receiving freedom through the revelation of Jesus as my shepherd, you know, I shall not want. He's doing all kinds of great stuff for me, and I'm me, and me, and me. It's, it's going to be immature. And then I also shared about how um, when we indulge in permissible uh, lifestyle choices that aren't necessarily evil, but end up maybe damaging the conscience of someone else in our life, you know, Christian or not, um, that we are actually sinning against Christ. To live in such a way that, hey, this is my freedom, this is my thing. I get to put on my freedom, do what I want, when I want, how I want, no matter the cost of who, who's offended by it. The Bible tells us, informs us that we were sinning against Christ for harming the conscience of someone else with our personal freedom. And then I talked about that, yes, we are under grace, but we are not free from the laws of God. We're not, anyone allowed to murder? Are we, you know, stealing and coveting, any of that stuff? That's all stuff that we're still held to. What we are free from is having to perform to get God's righteousness, to get, you know, be right with Him. We don't have to perform. We're not under that any longer. And then I, I finished up last week with posing a question, you know, about when it comes to the very precious life of God that lives inside of us. When, when it comes to our, our inner man, our, our soul, you know, are we living to protect that? Are we living to protect the, the Spirit of God, my soul, or are we choosing things in our liberties that end up dulling weakening or even harming our inner man. And I, I said this, are we living pro-life or pro-choice? Are we doing things that's harming the, the life that lives within us? Mature freedom is a freedom that leads us to holiness. And it puts the law of love, right? Love God, love your neighbor. It puts that above my personal freedoms. So today, I want to unpack living holy. I want to talk about that. I want to help us, you know, understand that. And, and for us to understand what live holy means, we, we have to understand what holy, you know, means. And so um, I'm actually going to start with a video this morning and some of you have maybe already seen this when it was floating around on face puke um, <laughs> months ago. Um, but but this, it's a video and it just does a great job of succinctly talking about holiness 
and I just I thought it would be very helpful. So if you would go ahead and hit play on that and um, get the volume up. I love to see visually stuff like that, and it, it, I think it helps us a whole bunch. Um, and so I, I, just to kind of reemphasize some of the things uh, that we just saw, and I'm going to add a couple extra thoughts as well about our understanding of holiness. Um, you know, many of the strange laws and practices of the Old Testament, um, they, were, they were grounded, they were purposed because of a need that we had, that the Israelites had to be taught about how God is, is unlike everything else. In His character, in His nature, He is unique. He is completely other than humanity and everything else. Completely other than. And for Israel, they, um, that truth had to be reinforced all the time, over and over and over and over. It had to be reinforced because, like with all of us, humanity has this problem. We, we love to take God in and we love to start thinking about how ordinary He is. We get so casual with Him. It's a problem. And it was a problem, and, and, and the way God was trying to do that was through all these laws and rituals to, to help the Israelites remember I am different, I am other than, I am completely unique than you. And so that Bible word for God's uniqueness is holiness. It means to be set apart, it, or it means to be distinct. And, you know, the, the concept is not just about uh, moral conduct, you know, but it is included. But it's not just about that. In fact, Leviticus 19, verse 2, says, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord, your God, am holy. Now, the question of how is God holy? How is He this other? Well, the short answer is in every way. He is completely different. He is completely, but it's too abstract. And so let's, let's talk about some practical ideas. For example, um, the Bible teaches that God was not only the source of Israel's life, but He was life. Everybody say, God is life. You know, God is not of the earth. He, he's, uh, you know, the earth is a place of death and disease and imperfection. God's realm is supernatural. Our realm is natural. And, and the earthly space that God chooses to invade and occupy, when He does that, that space becomes sacred. It becomes otherworldly by His mere presence. The space that you and I are occupying, it's ordinary. It's normal. It's, it's earthly. God is the polar opposite of ordinary. God is holy 
And not only does Leviticus 19.2 say that we are to be holy, but we've got all kinds of stuff in the New Testament that declares, you know, we are to be a holy people. 1 Peter chapter 1, and starting in verse 15, says, But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. So this thing of holiness, it ultimately, it's, it's this call for us to be like God. It is a call for us to be like our Heavenly Father. It's a challenge to us that, to, to be restored in the image of God. And you know, the very best example we have of this image of God is the Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the perfect image of God. And therefore, holiness is Christ-likeness. And so, when we start pursuing holiness, pursuing holiness is is this thing of living life in such a way that, that we are seeking to identify with God's otherness. This is making sense. Go ahead and just nod your head and let the rocks rattle around. Yes, Pastor. We are in pursuit of living in the image of God. And the way we do that is through pursuing holiness. You know, I think, it's just my opinion, but I I think one of the reasons for our lack of holiness is that we strive so hard sometimes to identify with the humanity of Jesus more than his divinity. You know, we, we read about what he did in the natural, and we spend most of our time trying to imitate his actions without actually having his motivation. Or having his objective. Yeah, I get it. Jesus, he hung out with liars and prostitutes and drunkards and foul-mouthed abusers. But see, he does it for a completely different reason than some Christians hang out with those people. <laughs> you know. And, and, but we look at Jesus' behavior and, and we use it to justify our behavior. You know, Jesus went to bars, so can I. Yeah, he may have stopped, stepped into a bar a time or two, but he went seeking and saving, right? You're going because it's dollar beer night. <laughs> Big difference. We're focused on the wrong stuff, okay? <laughs> what he did without the motivation of why he's doing it, it doesn't work. We've got to focus our lives on being set apart while going into those dark places to save the lost. And no, you don't have to be super hyper-spiritual about it. You know, don't go into some bar and start yelling at the top of your lung, Jesus loves you! Just don't. (laughs) Go in and and be love. Be love to everyone. Because they're looking for love in all the wrong places. Yeah, come on. 
And maybe they'll just come across you and find the right kind of love. If you're there to be light, if you're there to do dollar shots, well, then I hope they skip you. I, I'm sorry. I, I hope they do. So, so go hang out, drink a Coke, and love the lost. You know, we have to shift our focus from the natural to the supernatural. Our goal in life is to identify with the otherness of God. Now, the Bible has a special word that kind of defines the process of living holy. The process of identifying with God's otherness. And it is this word, it's called sanctification. Everybody say sanctification. And so just like the word holy, sanctification means to be set apart. It means to be holy. It means to yield your life to God. Romans 6 verse 19 says, I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you were once, just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. Now, it's important to understand that sanctification is completely different than salvation. And I'm going to use marriage as a way to kind of show the difference between salvation and sanctification. So, for instance, when I got married, my delight was primarily about what or whom I was getting. I claimed this wonderful woman... All for myself. You're mine, woman. Give it up. She was mine. And she met my criteria. Hey, listen. Don't get on a tangent. Listen. She is an awesome woman. But listen, it was mainly about me. You know, she had met all my criteria, and I just knew she was going to meet all my needs and expectations. Right? Do you see a theme here? It was mainly about the great deal that I was getting. Likewise, our initial motives for becoming a Christian often focus on the great deal that I'm getting at God's expense. You know, God provides the love and the grace. Christ does all the dying for my sins. God, gets, he has to extend all the mercy and forgiveness if I'll just believe it. Then I get eternal life. I get a past that's no longer held against me. I get Jesus as my Savior. Do you see a theme here? Salvation, too, is mainly about the great deal that I'm getting. And that's an awesome deal. And I want us all to get that deal. But if two people in a marriage go full steam ahead, insisting that all of their own expectations be met, their, all their needs fulfilled, then that marriage is headed for a crash. Marriages that actually thrive 
are the ones in which both partners eventually realize that they have to make a second vow. And that second vow is this, that in spite of the struggles and the imperfections that I see in my spouse, I have to make a deep level commitment and consecration to my marriage and to loving my spouse regardless of how much effort or sacrifice it costs me. Do you hear what I'm saying? We're all about marriages in here. Well, this is the problem. When the, the, when the great deal wears off. I got the girl of my dreams. Oh, we get to have sex and be okay. And all my stuff gets to happen for me. When that wears off and they no longer want to fulfill your every wish and desire, it's time to man up to the next level. You've got to make a decision to commit yourself no matter what. Hell or high water. And you will go through hell. Paul promised us, if you get married, you will have trouble. That's in the Bible. I don't even have to interpret it. So many marriages begin as a kind of relational salvation. Let that sink in for a moment. But if they're going to succeed, they must move into sanctification. Marriages, marriage sanctification is, is when a marriage focuses on developing faithfulness and love and contribution while eliminating sinful, selfish behaviors and attitudes. In the same way, as we start to grow in Christ, we become very aware that a lot of me keeps getting in the way of doing what Jesus wants me to do. And the Bible sometimes refers to that me factor as our flesh. The flawed part of me, the flawed human nature that is inclining me to sin it's 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 pushing me towards an ungodly character so personal sanctification is needed for us as christians to thrive and you know and what may seem as an oversimplification salvation depends on christ as our savior Sanctification seeks to establish Christ as Lord. You need both. You know, holiness, another way we can define it is, is purely just loving God with all of my heart, my soul, my mind, my strength, and loving my neighbor like I love myself. I mean, simply put, holiness is Christ-likeness. Holiness is not an it, like I've got it. Oh, you've got holiness. No, it's a him that I need. 
in him, I find purity, I find power, I find the ability to obey. Jesus himself is the definition of holiness. And as long as Jesus Christ is the central thrust of what we teach about holiness, then it's going to keep us from getting off on tangents. And then the religious cops show up because we're legalistic. I don't want to get legalistic. I hate it. I don't want to be religious. And if Jesus doesn't stay the focus, we can go that way. Jesus loved his father and his neighbor perfectly. Perfectly. Which thus then was, he was able to obey the father perfectly. You see, love and obedience, one springs from the other. Holiness in our life is perfect love. And I want to say that holiness is for every believer. Every one of us. Holiness is not reserved for pastors and missionaries who have enough time to pray all day long. <laughs> right? Isn't that what you do? You just pray and... Read your Bible. Yeah, that's it. That's, that's all I'm doing. Holiness is for all of us. I mean, listen, we really have to believe that we, we really can love God with all of our heart. I mean, do you believe that? That you can really love him with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, all of your strength. You can actually love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. It's possible. Especially with the jerk that lives next door that flicks his cigarettes into your yard. He's, he's, I can love that dude. Just like I love me. We really can walk in obedience to God's known commands. We really can. We don't have to be stuck with an endless cycle of defeat. We don't have to. Holiness is possible in this life. You know, it's very important. Doctrine is, is so very important to understand. But experiencing the grace of God in holiness is even more important. And so sanctification is everything that God does in us to make us more like Jesus. Everything. Our sanctification, it begins the day we give our heart to Jesus. And it continues to progress and grow through the grace of God. Everybody say, the grace of God. Make sanctification possible. Sanctification is God's spirit at work in our mind, in our soul, in our spirit, in our body, our entire life. Changing and renewing my desires. What I even desire in life. My thoughts. It changes how I even think about stuff. Changes what I'm interested in. 
It'll get you off watching the Kardashians, I promise. <laughs> Your interests will change. It'll change our attitudes. It'll change how we behave. You won't crave the same stuff. Sanctification is how God transforms us into the likeness of His Son. And if we would be that kind of believer, that kind of follower, then something, those changes start to shift our focus and we become increasingly active in caring for the rejected and for the widowed and the orphan and the poor and those in jail, people who are in distress and in need. We don't care very much right now because we're not very much like his otherness. But when we pursue this, this life and the love of God fills us, then what's important starts to change drastically. We start to become Christians who actually look for opportunities to use our personal resources to, to help and aid other people. And listen, this is really important I want you to get. The focus of sanctification is about healing the dysfunctionality of sin in our lives. I don't know about you, but sin has created lots of dysfunction in my life. And not only the sins that I've opened the door to and that I've personally committed, but, but think about all the sins that have been passed down to me through generational curses. And so sanctification is, is God's process of cleaning up the mess of sin in my life. Why do I keep getting angry and blowing up? Be sanctified. Your heart changes. Your mind changes. Your thoughts change. As we pursue the way of holiness and, and being set apart, God heals the broken places in our lives. You know, and what's super powerful is that all spiritual blessing, we already have it. We already have, you know, things like justification and, and sanctification. These already belong to us as Christians the moment we give our lives to Jesus. Ephesians 1.3 says that. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Say that. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That means sanctification is total and final in one sense. But it also means that sanctification continues until we breathe our last breath. Or Jesus returns, which I hope is sooner. See, sanctification has a beginning phase. Has a, a um, progress or progressive phase. And then it has the final phase. And for us, our concern is the progressive phase. 
the progressive sanctification phase of our lives. Phase of our lives. 2 Corinthians 3.18 And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Now, notice that it says that we are being transformed. That means it is an ongoing process. So the sanctified life is a victorious one, even though we may still face temptation, even though we may suffer. It's a process of applying the effects of our justification, the, the part of, that we've been made right with God. Say, I've been made right with God. You can't perform it. You can't earn that. You've got it. It's yours. If you ever study systematic theology, you'll discover that there are four major distinguishing marks of the church that the Bible teaches about. First is unity. Second is holiness. Third is Catholicity. And I don't mean, it is the word Catholic, but Catholic just means universal and whole. And so our Catholicity, it, it means the church is made up of every person who has ever professed Christ, both past and present. Like, we're not just the church in 2017. So, so that's a big theme in the Bible, that, that the body of Christ is stretches millennia on every part of the planet, not just America. So Catholicity, we are all the church spread across the planet throughout all time. And then fourth is apostolicity. And that means that the church is supposed to be the same church as that of the apostles who knew Jesus face to face. So to say that the church is to be apostolic, it's to make this claim about authority and about truth. Apostolic authority is authority which tells the truth about who Jesus is. But the point I'm going to focus on is that second mark of the church. And that is the church is to be holy. The holiness of the church. We are meant to be holy just like God. We are God's holy household. Ephesians chapter 2. Starting in verse 20. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure is being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So here in Ephesians we, we see this clear expectation that the church is to be holy that would reflect Christ's person and his power and his love in the world. Faithfully, without sin, without brokenness, without conflict. Ephesians 5 verse 25, it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. 
that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. God intends the church to be holy, to be without spot, to be without wrinkle, you know, holy, without blemish. And I realize that that can be really hard to believe. You know, it's about as easy to believe sometimes as unity. You know, that we're going to all be one real church, not divided. But there is moments of unity. There, and, and the church is holy. But we're also aware that we fail at that. And if we're not aware, well, we need to be. Because there is a long history of ugly sin in the church. It's a painful history. But holiness of the church, the holiness of individuals, isn't something that we have to accomplish all by ourselves. It's ours because of the gift of grace. And only through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's only available to us because of what Christ has done. That's it. I mean, it's obvious that when we lack holiness, it's damaging our witness. And when the world looks at what should be holy and instead sees ugliness or lies or even evil, then it's no surprise that the world's turned away. But when the Spirit makes us holy and we cooperate with that, it's beautiful. We actually become magnetic you know in acts which says they were added to daily that's called magnetism <laughs> there is something that was on those people those first christians that everyone wanted to be a part of if we could live this way maybe the, the world would start to be attracted to the church again So I'm going to finish up. I want to just share a few benefits of living holy. So number one, holiness fosters intimacy with God. And it builds spiritual strength and stability. Holiness fosters intimacy with God and builds spiritual strength and stability. Psalm 15, verse 1. Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent? Who may live on your holy mountain? The one whose walk is blameless, who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from their heart, whose tongue utters no slander, who does no wrong to a neighbor and casts no slur on others who despises a vile person, but honors those who fear the Lord, who keeps an oath even when it hurts and does not change their mind, who lends money to the poor without interest, who does not accept a bribe against the innocent. Whoever does these things will never be shaken. 
When we choose to live to be holy and set apart, there develops this intimacy with God. And out of that intimacy comes a spiritual strength and stability. We grow in confidence in the Lord. And, and when our hearts and our minds are clean, then we feel bold to live and proclaim the gospel. Have you ever experienced that? You know, because a guilty conscience has a really good way of eroding our faith. It really, really has a way of eroding me being bold about Jesus. Courageous in my faith. And when that happens, then it opens this door to shame. And shame comes in and we, we get in fear and then we start hiding from God and people. Holiness breaks shame. It breaks fear. It breaks control. And it helps foster intimacy with God. Psalm 24, verse 3. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in His holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god, they will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek Him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. Number two, holiness makes us useful and effective for God's purposes. Holiness makes us useful and effective for God's purposes. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20, it says, In a large house there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes, and some for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. We can do a whole message on that one. Because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. That's a lot. But again, I don't know about you, but for me, I want to be an instrument for special purposes. You know, Paul tells Timothy that if we cleanse ourselves, that we can be used for special purposes and any good work. So, so I ask myself, I go, well, what if raising the dead is one of those special purposes? What if casting out demons with just a word is one of those special purposes? And what if having your shadow heal someone 
that one of those special purposes? The ESV version of the Bible uh, it says, honorable and dishonorable use. What if living holy, you know, cleansing ourselves from dishonorable things actually opens the door to the greater things than this ministry that Jesus said we could do? Will we dare to find out? Number three, holiness in your life causes people around you to glorify God. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Now, did you catch verse 11 there? It said, abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your very own soul. Remember that question I asked a few weeks ago, are we living with a divided heart? Are we living spiritually and morally pro-choice, choosing every liberty available to us and only to have some of those choices actually get abused by us, which then wage war against my very own soul? You know, right now we have a beautiful example of verse 12. Verse 12 said, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. I'm sure most of you have heard it. It came out that Vice President Mike Pence has some very strict boundaries around his marriage. He won't go to dinner with another woman alone, and he won't go to parties with alcohol without his wife. Literally, this verse is being played out right now in front of us. Because the godless media machine is speaking against Pence right now for those boundaries. And they're calling him evil. For having that and Maybe you haven't heard, but He's, he's opposed to uh, successful women. Sometimes you just need to have a dinner meeting with a woman, and because he's sexist, and he won't uh, allow them to be their full glory because of that. I mean, that's literally what they're saying. It's ridiculous. He's saying, no, I'm protecting my marriage. I'm not afraid of powerful women. Get over yourself. 
He's put this boundary and they're calling him evil. Pence loves God and he loves his wife and so he's choosing to fence it in. Protecting both of those relationships with strict, we would call religious if we were the police, wouldn't we? Hard, strict boundaries around his marriage because he loves his God and he loves his wife. God promises that if we will live holy and keep our conduct honorable among those same people who call us evil for our high moral standards, I hope we get some, that they will one day glorify God. What are we doing to protect our marriages? What are we doing to protect our children and what they hear and see every day on that little digital device you gave them? That $300 toy, $600 toy you hand over every day. How are we protecting our relationship with God? How are we protecting our very own soul? Well, number four, holiness pleases God and it produces fruit. Ephesians 5, verse 1. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor there should there be any obscenity or foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore do not be partners with them, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful to even mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. And everything that is illuminated becomes light. That is why it is said, Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. You remember a couple of weeks ago, I said God is pruning us as a church for more fruit. When living holy is the target of our lives, dead, useless, unproductive things in our life start to fall away. You know, every time I do a media fast where I, I turn off 
TV and digital entertainment. I just, we, we do them sometimes. And every time I do one of those, I, I realize how little I actually need all of my digital entertainment. I'm reminded that the things I think I can't do without, I can actually do a lot without. When I make decisions to live set apart, you know, the useless things in my life start to go. And my, my focus starts to shift to the love and work of God in my life. As well as my mission on this earth. Amen. Hebrews 12.11 says, No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Holiness produces a harvest of fruit. So let's be imitators of God. Let's, let's pursue and identify with God's otherness. We have to to be a people who live holy unto the Lord. We have to be set apart from the world. So let's allow the Lord's discipline to work in our life. 